The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bible this morning and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9 as we continue in our summer series on this book. What beautiful singing this morning. My heart is filled as I'm sure yours are as well. We praise the Lord to be in His presence and be together as the community of God today. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. We're going to read verse 1 through 4 today. So you read along silently as I read out loud for us. The Bible says, chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, verse number 1, For I have taken all of this to my heart, and I explain it this way, that the righteous men and wise men and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice, and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the weary, weary one is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. And then verse 4, For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a living dog is better than a dead lion. Would you join me for a word of prayer this morning? Our Father, we do come to this time around Your Word and I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that You would help us. You would help our hearts and minds and souls to be focused upon Your Word. And that You would teach us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that You would teach us the truths in this passage that we need to live for You in a lost and a broken world. And we will love You and thank You for all that You do. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A few minutes uh, before service began this morning, I was speaking with one of our deacons and was talking about how yesterday uh, he thought that he was going to kind of clean out his house and take some stuff to the dump and just, uh, you know, kind of do a little bit of uh, spring cleaning, but in the summertime. And uh, so lo and behold, he got everything in his uh, vehicle. He heads down the road to, to start taking care of that and blows a tire. Gets out, notices that they're, uh, the tire's flat. It's not only just punctured through the bottom, but it has gone through the sidewall. And so he's thinking, uh, now I've got to get the spare tire out, right? And that's what we do. And get the spare tire out, change the tire, put it on, continue with this day. So he goes to the back, he opens up, and he begins this uh, labyrinth or maze of trying to get the spare tire out to put on the car. And I don't know, by some cruel joke, whoever uh, put or built that spare tire in there did so in such a fashion that there was no possible way to get the tire out and get it actually onto the vehicle. And he was not alone. He had another brother with him who, might I say, is very smart. And the two of these brilliant men together sought how to get the spare tire from in the car to on the tire. 
And after much heartache and stress, they found that nobody could get the spare tire off to be able to put it on to use it for the function that it was intended for. So what do you do when you're in those places? You call AAA, right? The guy from AAA, they tell me, the guy from AAA comes out and here's what he says. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a secret trick that you've got to have to be able to get the spare tire off. And it's not written in any manual anywhere. Now, what kind of brilliant person invented that? The one thing that you need in order to keep driving requires some sort of secret password to get it off and get it on. You know, that tire was a truth that they couldn't live without. They needed to know how to have and have access to what it was that they needed to make the vehicle to be able to do what it was intended for and what they needed it for that day. And I find that there are a lot of times in our life where there are truths that we cannot live without, we cannot seem to cope without. In fact, you know, I was thinking also, have any of you ever forgot a password to one of your email accounts, right? Come on, Brother Chambers is the only one with me today. You know now. I have invented passwords that were so easy to remember I forgot them. Right? You invent a password and you think, I'm the only one in the world that knows the password. I'll surely never forget it. And a week later, you know, you're typing an email to try and get uh, access to be able to reinvent another password that all you'll do is forget. All you want to do is check your email. All you want to do is check your bank account. And the one piece of truth that you need, you don't have. Well, in the life that we live, with our families, with our individual life, with our work, and the way that we live for the Lord Jesus Christ, there are some truths in the Scripture that you cannot and you must not and you should not live without. And I just want to simply give you from these four verses four truths that you don't want to live without today. Look back if we would, if you'll verse number 1. For I have taken all of this into my heart, and here's how I explain it. It's as if the author is saying here, everything that has come in the last eight chapters, all of this concept of life being vain, and ups and downs, and ins and outs, and how hard life is under the sun without the presence of God, I've taken all of that into my mind, and here's what he says, that the righteous men... And wise men, and may I pause and say, not only righteous men, but, and wise men, but ungodly men and imprudent men, all people in all of the world, and look what he says here, and their deeds are in the hand of God. And man doesn't know whether it will be love or hatred or what waits him around the corner. Here's the first point or the first truth that I want to say that you don't want to live your life without, and that is that we are all in the hands of God. You, my friend, are in the hand of God. Now before you check out and you say that's a colloquialism, I've heard that all my life, there's songs about that, I'm living, I'm at a place in my life where that doesn't really seem to do much good to me. I want you to back up for a minute and remember that the Bible says that. That's not me, that's not some sort of Instagram post, that's not some sort of feel-good thing that somebody has placed out of there on a Hallmark card, but that is the Word of the living God that reminds us that we are are in the hand of God. Amen? Earlier this week, as I was reading down through that, I began to understand, and you know, as you, you have a, a theological understanding of the Scriptures, you know, that is basically terminology for saying that God is sovereign. 
that God is in control, that God is above all and in all and through all, and that God understands everything that is going on. In fact, if you were to read verse number 1, what is it that is in the hands of God? The person, your very life, your soul, who it is that makes up and comprises your life. You are in the hand of God. But not only that, it says that you and your works your deeds, your life, what it is that you're trying to accomplish and all that you do in your life, it is in the hands of God. If you're in here today and you're a garbage man, I want to promise you that the work that you do is in the hands of God. If you're in here today and you're a teacher or you're a business person, or whatever, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you say, does God see me? Does God know what I'm doing? Does it really count that I'm investing my life into these children that are before me? I want you to understand that not only your person, but your work is in the hands of Almighty God. Verse number one is not only our person, not only our work, but even the experiences, whether love or hate, that befall us in life are in the hands of Almighty God. That's what it means, the last phrase there. You don't know what awaits you. I'm reminded of a song that I used to listen to. It says, we live, we love, we forgive and never give up because we do not know what is around the bend. And there are times in our life where we are not prognosticators. We can't see the death of a loved one coming. We can't see all of the pain and the heartache that may be around the corner. We don't know what the future has for us, but what we do know is that our future is in the hands of an Almighty God. And you can trust Him. I was going to make that point today. Verse The first point is just to simply say that God is sovereign over all. But that's not what the text says. The text says that the righteous and the wise are in the hand of God. And as the more I just begin to think and meditate and pray about that, you know my, you know my mind and heart took that metaphor back. When I was growing up, my dad, and in fact even to this day, I texted him this morning before I came to church, my dad has the largest hands in the world. When I was a boy, I marveled. My, my dad has a ring much like this class ring that I have. And I remember from the time I was 8 and 10 and 12, I would always want to borrow my dad's ring and just look at it. And it was so big, I felt like two or three of my fingers could fit within his ring. He had these huge hands and scarred all over the place. And I remember as a young boy, a lot of times I would just look at my dad's hands and think about how big and how strong they are. His hands were strong enough to defend us. His hands were strong enough to go out and to make a living for us. And his hands were big enough to hold a baby in his hands. Now, I'm not sure what your father's hands are like. But I, I don't want the metaphor that is in this passage to slip by you. If you're not careful today, you'll walk out of here and as a believer, you'll check out in your mind and you'll say, yeah, 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 God's sovereign. God knows it all. God's in control. God is a bearded old white man that sits on a cloud somewhere and doesn't worry about what's going on in my individual life. He may care about the galaxies. He may care about our solar system. He may care about the nations. But God doesn't care about me, but I want you to understand... You're in His hands. And His hands are large enough to take care of you. And His hands are large enough to, to supply for you. And His hands are large enough to hold you and to care for you and to love you and to pick you up when you fall and set you back on the way. And can I say this? His hands are scarred too. 
For the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. And He laid there and stretched out. And they took great spikes and pounded them into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and lifted that cross up and dropped it into the socket of the earth. And there, naked and ashamed before all the world, the Son of the living God died for you. So that no matter where you find yourself, no matter how down and out, no matter how heartbroken, no matter how discouraged, no matter what lot of life you find yourself in, as a believer, you're in the hands of the Almighty God. Amen? He has been down the path that you've been down. And He has the scars to prove it. And you know what He told Thomas? Thomas was so much like us. Oh my goodness, don't you, don't you listen to somebody that always beats up on Thomas, doubting Thomas. I'll tell you what, I'd be a doubter too, wouldn't you? An old doubting Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And in the upper room, that second time, Jesus holds out His hands and says, put your hands, put your fingers into the scars of my hands and into my side and see that I died for you and I rose again. And for anyone that puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they can have eternal and everlasting life and I'll provide for you. You need to walk out of this room today as a believer with a confident trust that we are in the hands of God. Here's a second point from verse number 2. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who doesn't offer sacrifice. As a good man is so is the sinner as the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. Here's the second point. Yes, we are all in the hands of God. And lest you get away from that, let me remind you that it is not only a good thing for believers to be in the hands of God, but it is also a fearful thing for unbelievers to be in the hands of God. Isn't that what the New Testament says? The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So if you're a believer, rejoice today that you're in His hands. If you're an unbeliever, be fearful that if you don't turn to Jesus, judgment comes from the hand of God. But secondly, I want you to see from verse number 2 that we all die. Now will you just receive that and take that in for a minute? We all die. And I can see on some of your faces, you're saying, no, Pastor Steve, I'm not sure that that's a truth that I needed to live with today. That's a bit morbid. That's a bit morose. I don't want to think of death, but I want you to understand that that is not a truth that you can live without. But it is a truth that most people in the world live without. Isn't that the way our society and our culture is? We will do anything that it takes to inoculize ourselves, to, to numb ourselves to the fact that we will die. We push it off. We cover it up. We want to be as healthy as we can, and you should. We want to eat the best we can, and you should. Except for a good donut every once in a while is wonderful. Amen? Maybe some chocolate ice cream. No, 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 I'm off track. Now listen. You should eat right, and you, you should exercise. But don't think for a moment that you can push death away. It is coming for every person. And if you live your life, and you never thoughtfully think about the concept that you're going to die... You're living without a right truth. And you're living in a fantasy world. What about death does the text teach? Well, the text simply teaches here that death is unavoidable. 
Death is unavoidable. It comes to all people. And that death is not partial to any human being. Whether you're black or white, rich or poor, whether you've made oaths and whether you're righteous or whether you haven't made oaths and you live an unrighteous life, the text is not saying that it doesn't matter how you live. The text is simply reminding you that it is not about your condition, but your confidence in Christ. You must be reminded today that you will die. Now, can I just ask a question to you? Let's just bring this in for a moment. If the truth of the Scripture and the truth of all history is that given enough time, people die, what are you living for right now? What are you investing in? pouring your life into, thinking about, devoting your attention to, that will outlast you. That will be here when you're gone. Most of us spend our time with things that are temporal. Things that don't matter. So much of our hobbies and our things that are fun and games and sports and hobbies and all of these kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with having hobbies and sports and loving all of those stuff. But if you invest all of your time and all of your effort into the things that are temporal, what will be here to survive you when you're gone? Can I pause for a moment and maybe give you a few things that you ought to invest your time in? You should be investing your time into your personal, spiritual growth into Christ-likeness. It amazes me that there are men in this congregation who will spend a lifetime dedicating their brain power to knowing certain stats about certain players and certain teams. And you know who played for the college team that you love in 86, 87, 88, 89. You know all of their stats and who they are. You will give all of your attention to knowing all of those stats, but theology and the Word of God is too hard for you to work through. There are ladies in this room and you know everything that comes out on your Pinterest account, but you don't read the Word of the living God. You want to be so up to date with the latest program on television that you love that means nothing and it's most likely as wicked as hell to begin with, but you want to know everything about it. You want to know who The Bachelor is, you want to know who The Bachelorette is, but you don't want to spend not one minute on your soul to be more like Christ. And that TV show is going to come and go and nobody a hundred years from now will care. What are you doing on your own soul, on your own growth in Christ-likeness? What about in your family, in your relationships, in your friendships? Are you pouring your life into other people? Those that are around you? What about in your church life? Do you spend time involved in church, plugged in somewhere, serving in some capacity? Are you giving to the children and to the youth and to the, all of the ministries that are going on in this place? Are you somehow plugged in some way with educating and growing and living and working for the children and the youth of this ministry? Are you consumed with things that don't matter? What about with the Gospel? How much time this week did you devote 
to sharing your testimony or the truth of the living God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection with somebody? What are your priorities? You're going to die. I'm not telling you, and the text isn't telling you to enjoy, not to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy life. I don't like sourpuss congregants anyway, alright? I want you to have fun. Everybody needs a vacation. Enjoy life. Do things. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies and all of that. But I just want to say, if all of those things come first in your life, rather than your dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ and the propagation of the Gospel to the nations and the building of God's local church, investing in people, then something is wrong in your life and you have that flip-flop. And when you get to the end of your days, what will outlast you? What are you going to leave behind? Let me give you a third truth. Look at verse number 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterward, they go to the dead. Hey, listen, the first truth you need to know today from verse number 1 is that we are in the hands of God. I would say the second truth that you need to live by and understand and at least think about and meditate and use as an impetus in your soul is that you're going to die. Everybody dies. What are you doing with your life? Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that you cannot possibly live well until you learn to die well. Isn't that what John Wesley said? I love that old, that old preacher. He used to say, my people die well. I wonder if the people of our church die well. Are you prepared to meet Christ? And you get that settled and you'll be prepared to live well. Let me give you a third point here. We all sin. <laughs> now you might think that that's a pretty self-explanatory point. Right? What does the Bible say in the New Testament? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have all gone astray. We've all gone to our own way. We have turned away from the Lord. We are all sinners. I think this verse simply points out these thoughts about sin. Number one, I would say that our sin nature is in some ways a form of insanity. Isn't that what insanity is? is? Doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting different results. And in our life, we demonstrate a bit of insanity with our own sin. We continue sinning, doing the same sins over and over and over again. And somehow you think that your life is going to come out better. Somehow you think that it's not going to come back to get you. Somehow you think you'll be able to sustain relationships. But you fall and fall and fall and fall. You continue to live the way that you have. And you see that the results are the same, but you can't stop. Why? Because sin is a form of insanity. You know what else about sin? Sin comes from the heart. Isn't that what Jesus said? Now what did Jesus say? Jesus said, it's not what comes from the outside that corrupts an individual. It's what comes out of the inside that corrupts us. Our hearts are desperately wicked before the Lord. I hear people say sometimes, follow your heart. For God's sake, do not follow your heart. Your heart will lead you to hell. Follow Jesus. Because only Jesus 
can give you a new heart. Only Jesus can break up the fallow ground of your heart and pull it out and put in the new heart that has been redeemed by His grace and by His mercy. And look to Jesus Christ. Hey, there are way too many people in our churches and in our world that are like Jesus would say, why did sepulchers... Are you familiar with this term Jesus said? You look like a casket that's beautiful on the inside, on the outside. It's, you, you paid a bunch of money for it. It looks beautiful. All the flowers are there. But on the inside, it's dead men's bones. There are people in church life who look really religious on the outside. But when you pull back and you look at what's on the inside, they're very dirty people. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. You say, Steve, what is the answer? If we're all going to die and we all sin, what is the answer? The answer is to turn our faith and our trust and our confidence to the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe on Him who gives eternal life. To believe on Christ who takes our sin away. It is not what we can earn. It's not what we can do. It is not who we know or where we've been. But it is Christ alone that can give us a new heart. It is Christ alone that can raise our soul from the dead. It is Christ alone that does these things. I want to encourage you to turn your life over to Him today. Let me give you one last point. Look at verse number 4. For whoever is joined... With all the living, there is hope. Surely, look at this interesting metaphor. Surely, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You want to know what the last point is? We all have hope while we are still alive. We all have hope while we are still alive. Look at the, look at the contrast. A living dog and a dead lion. Do you understand what the author is trying to say here? Every one of us in this room, what do we think about a lion? We, we think that a lion has a, a beautiful and a wonderful pedigree, that it is at the top of the food chain, that nothing is underneath of it, that it is beautiful in appearance and beautiful in make and beautiful in design, and that everybody should look to the lion. And who would look to this off-scouring, wandering, roadside dog? But if that lion is dead you'd be better off with a roadside dog who was alive than the king of the jungle rotting. There are some people in this room right now, and if you, uh, if you were sitting alone in a counselor's office, you might say right now, I feel like a dog. I feel marginalized. I feel like nobody cares. I, I feel like I've done so many things in my life that the roof of this place might just fall in on me. I want to say to you that you have hope. Because as long as you have breath in your lungs and a desire in your heart to look to Jesus, He will save you and change you from the inside out. You don't have to be a lion. You don't have to come from the best pedigree. You don't have to have the most beautiful mane in the world. You don't have to have the largest bite nor the largest roar, and all of the world doesn't have to bow down before you. You may be some small dog that's wandering on the street somewhere in your own soul, but if you'll come to Jesus Christ, He will give you the eternal, lasting hope of His weight and His glory through the cross and the resurrection. Amen? Those are truths.
Those are truths that you can't live without. Let me just put this in your lap. Two, two points of application this morning. Now listen, don't zip your Bible up. Don't wait. Just pay attention for one more moment. When you leave here today and you think about the fact that as a believer, you're in the hands of God, here's what that ought to invoke in your soul. Worship. And humility. And prayer. And obedience. Let me say those again. When you think about the fact that you are in the hands of God, it ought to bring to your soul worship, humility, prayer, and obedience. And if you're in this room today and you're alive and drawing breath into your lungs and you have reason in your mind and you know that the Scripture is true and that Jesus, God's Son, died for you as we said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died and rose again that if you put your confidence in Him, though you be a wandering dog, He'll make you better than the dead lion and give you eternal hope and glory in your own soul. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And just a moment, I'll turn it over and Jamie will lead us in a little song. This is an opportunity. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right where you are, it's as simple as asking Him with a sincere and a humble heart, right where you are, just ask Him in your mind and your soul, Lord Jesus, please be my Savior and Lord. I commit my life to You right now. If you do that in childlike faith in Him, He'll save you and we'll walk with you down the path of Christianity. There are many of us in this room today and you've been kind of, you, you knew, right? You knew how to get that spare tire out along the line. You, you, you knew the code to get into your email, but along the line somewhere you forgot it. And you've been focused on other things. And I'm here to remind you today, that you don't want to live without these truths, that you're in the hands of God, that you will die, that you are a sinner, that our great hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And He loves you no matter where you are in life. Come to Him today. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.